the kids are smart. They start to connect that and then they are motivated to eat better. Maybe the better question is how can our kids teach us how to biohack? Hey there, welcome to the Biohacker Babes podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Renee, a certified nutritional consultant with a master's degree in nutrition. What's up? And I'm Lauren, functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner and check movement specialist. We're sisters and we're joining forces to empower you to become your own biohacker and upgrade your life. Our mission is to provide actionable steps so you can optimize your health, strengthen your intuition, and support your body's natural healing abilities. Because life is too short to not feel your best every single day. Thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Welcome to episode 129 of the Biohacker Raves. I am Lauren, tuning in from Maryland today with my very whiny Rudy dog. And I'm joined by my sister, Renee. Hello, hello. (laughs) Hi. I'll be in Maryland tomorrow, though. I'll get to see you and Rudy in person. I know. I almost thought we should just sit in the living room together and record (sighs) ensemble, but um, that would have been fun. This is the traditional way. I I apologize in advance if he um, pops up on the audio. Super whiny right now. (laughs) Aw. He just wants you to hug him. I know I feel bad because I ran in from a massage and didn't give him a ton of attention. I had to make a shake and then sit down. So I gave him a little loving, but I think it's just, he needs more. He's needy. He needs a little more. (laughs) He'll get it later. No. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in today. So we're going to do a Q and a episode. We tend to accumulate some questions over time and rather than going deep into just one topic, we thought we would spend some time kind of covering our bases today. So this is questions that we received from you, our listeners, and also a few common questions that we've been getting with our clients as of late. So we're going to try to keep it nice and snappy today. Snappy and short. Is that the word I was looking for? Snappy and short. Short and sweet, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I just want to add that I think anytime we get questions from people, I think other people can always learn from them. They're great questions. And I think a lot of people are probably thinking the same things and just have not reached out and asked. So hopefully this is helpful for everyone. Yeah, totally. I feel like that's always the benefit of doing like a group coaching program, which I've explored more and more. And the questions yeah. really build upon um, on each other. It's hard, like one-on-one, sometimes you just don't know what questions to ask. So right. nice to have the added conversation. So we're going to try to create that conversation for you today. Renee, do you want to kick us off with our first question? Absolutely. All right. So what is the best way to use red light for beginners? Does all the skin need to be exposed? Great question. Um, I will say definitely check out the episode we did um, all about red light therapy. We'll link to that in the show notes if you want to do a deeper dive on red light. But I would say to start off, you know, especially if you're a beginner, what is your goal for using red light therapy? Is it for increasing collagen? So you're looking at more of like skin health, the beauty side of things, or are you having a problem area with pain and inflammation? Or maybe it's just like overall kind of hacking your mitochondria and you're looking for benefits there for overall health and longevity. So I would say, number one, pick the body part you're focusing on. You want to ideally focus on that one specific area for about 10 minutes a day. 
10 minutes seems to be the sweet spot. Um, you know, when we work up to 20 minutes, it's kind of like the law of diminishing returns. We don't really see as much of the benefit. So aim for 10 minutes. And obviously, depending on how big your red light is, if it's, you know, six inches by three inches, <laughs> you know, you might want to just do your knee and then just do your face. It's going to take a while versus if you have the luxury of getting in a red light bed, those things are so amazing. Yeah. And you can get one for only $60,000. So yeah, um, easy. Yeah, easy investment. <laughs> but those are nice because you get in there in 10 to 12 minutes, your entire body is done. I mean, that would be the dream. So if you have a location near you where you can jump in there, that's great. What else? Any other thoughts on red light? I guess the thought that comes up for me is a common response is, well, I don't feel anything. And how do I know that it's working? And mm. so I think there's, because there's not an immediate feeling symptom or response people are not as motivated to use it or I guess to commit to purchasing one. Maybe you've gone and used it in a facility or you've, I don't know, tried one at a friend's house. And I think it just feels really nice and, and nourishing. But if you don't feel that, I say it's one of those things you really just have to commit to long-term before you say it didn't work or it didn't feel anything. It's working on a cellular level and lots of research to support this, that it is actually fueling our mitochondria, which is our energy powerhouse. And everyone's going to kind of react differently. So yes, I think it's great. You said it depends on what your goal is. I know I'm always trying to increase collagen in my face. So that's a common, like, I guess, spot treatment that I would do. Just put my face in front of it. I guess the question about how much skin needs to be exposed. Yeah. Certainly, if you can stand between two full body juve panels, you're going to get bigger bang from your for your buck. But not everyone has access to that, and I think just any red light is better than no red light. Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, yeah, the red light will not go through your clothes, so whatever area you're treating, yeah, you need the skin to be exposed. And I think, you know, if if it is the beauty and the skin side of things, you know, and you're just getting started and you don't even have a red light, maybe look into getting like one of those red light face masks, like the one from Higher Dose that's going to be like very specific to that area. Or mm -hmm. like we were saying, if you're looking to treat just like one problematic area or bigger, bigger areas of the body, um, light path led who we love so much. I love that they offer that you can buy the small unit, try it out, see if you like it, see if you feel anything, and then you can turn it in and upgrade. You can get the bigger one, the bigger one, the bigger one, if you want. So that's a nice way to try that out versus most red light companies you buy whatever size and you're stuck with that. So if you want to go mm -hmm. bigger, you, you know, you're going to pay a lot more. So, yeah. And I don't necessarily think bigger is better. Sure. You're going to get more coverage, but I like the smaller ones because yeah. I can move it to whatever part of the, my apartment or the house that I'm in. It's yeah. kind of easier just to adjust it and navigate like areas of the body. Whereas with like the huge juve panels, you're like, well, I'm standing here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I do use my smaller one from like my LED more than my juve panel because the, the juve panel is hanging on the back of my door. So I have to be standing there. It's a good point. I have to go stand and stare at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what listening to podcasts is for those 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But that small LED, um, light path panel is awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's move on. Question number two, how do you choose between organic versus grass fed meat? There are so many nuances here. Hopefully you heard our podcast episode that we did with Jeffrey Smith. We talked all about GMOs and kind of discerning between all the very confusing terms. Also, Autumn Smith did a good job about explaining those. Essentially, organic just means that they, they ate organic feed. And that feed could be quite a range of 
types of food. Obviously, organic is just like a more natural, less aggressive way to process the feed. But I mean, that feed could be grain, corn, and then also alternatively, soy, the list goes on. (laughs) And a grass feed also doesn't guarantee that they ate grass their entire life. We're starting to see a little more transparency with this now. Companies are putting grass-fed on the label. You could put grass-fed on the label if it was fed grass for 30 seconds. <laughs> Actually, so I, I should probably fact check that, but I, I think the, <laughs> yeah, the what's idea of time. <laughs> yeah, one day, two days. Yeah, what's the actual? I don't know the variables, but I think it's more important. I think some companies or some farms are cutting corners where it's like part of their lives, the cattle was fed on grass, but what's happening for the rest of the time. So grass fed, grass finished is what we want to look for. Yeah. It's hard to find, but, uh, check out your local farmer. You can buy meats from trusted purveyors like us wellness meats, crowd cow. What else is in there? Wild pastures, which is wild pastures. Yes. Meth. Yeah. 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 And I, and I just want to say, I don't think that some of these farmers are really trying to trick you with the grass fed label. It's just that, you know, cows are naturally kind of growing or you know living out on the grass and they're eating the grass, but then at the end they're feeding them these grains to fatten them up and make the meat taste better. More mm-hmm. Americans I think are maybe apt to want that taste of meat versus the grass fed grass finished. It is a little bit leaner tasting. And I think some Americans don't really like that. But there's different health benefits. You know, when you're doing the grain finish, we're also seeing higher omega-6s versus omega-3s. And the omega-3s are more anti-inflammatory and better for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get to know your 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 source for sure. Yeah. And maybe some debate on like the nutritional profile. I thought that was explained really well in Diana Rogers' book, um, Sacred Cow. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to take a deeper dive on that, but uh, I think... Our go-to and our our encouragement for you is to go grass-fed, grass-finished. Yeah, great. Next up. All right, next up. Oh, no. The dreaded question. (laughs) We're not qualified. (laughs) (laughs) We've gotten this question so many times, and we're not ignoring you. We just want to really, you know, leave this to the experts. So how can I help my kids biohack? I think it's awesome that parents are asking us this, but we are not parents. Well, I have doggy parents. Yeah. Yeah. My cats biohack. They use the red light. They use CBD oil. They eat organic. They're carnivores. They're on a carnivore diet. So yeah, (laughs) that is my expertise though. I think we just want to be respectful. We cannot claim to be experts because we have never parented ourselves. That being said, I think we can give some general advice. Try not to put them on biohacking devices. I think kids are probably exposed to devices enough already. And I think what's really powerful about biohacking, as you all know, if you've been listening to us and you're in this world, the ancestral hacking is of utmost importance. So connecting to the earth, getting outside and grounding and breathing fresh air and getting natural light. So maybe even just whenever you're outside with your kids, talking to them about the power of grounding and getting negative electrons and resetting their circadian uh, circadian rhythm by getting sunlight in the morning, talking to them about community support and tribe and how it's so important to be, you know, in, in systems where we have that integration and support. 
rather than let's go sit in front of a red light device, which is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if your kids see you doing it and are interested and want to join you, like, yeah, then why not? But yeah. And, and sadly, what we're starting to see with this pandemic is kids are starting to have a lot of health issues, especially like anxiety and depression, which is terrifying for kids. So I think, again, getting back to the basics of like, even during the pandemic, make sure your kids are getting outside. They're hopefully seeing some friends. They're putting their feet on the earth. They're getting that fresh air, the sunshine, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have to mention our good friend, Melissa, because her son is just like a natural biohacker. He has been since he was like three years old. He, he's awesome. Yeah. He's such a cool kid. He jumps in their pool, like in the winter, he's like, I'm doing like my cold plunge. And he'll just like jump in like butt naked. Butt naked. In there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he'll, he'll naturally fast and he naturally eats like a ton of healthy fats. And, and I think she will, she's an amazing mom. Shout out to you, Melissa, if you're listening, she's an amazing mom. But I think something I've learned from watching her is teaching your kids how eating different foods impacts how you feel. Like I think telling your Mm -hmm. kid, you can't have gluten, you can't have dairy, you can't have sugar. Like that's just going to create, I think some kind of disordered eating, which is not healthy. But when your kid goes to a birthday party and eats a gluten, dairy filled, sugar filled cake, And then comes home and is like, my stomach hurts. I have a headache. I don't feel good. Like the kids are smart. They start to connect that. And then they are motivated to eat better. Mm -hmm. Um, And same, our friend, Christine Dianese, (laughs) our fellow Italian, she, Mm -hmm. she shared that when she was on her podcast a year or two ago too, about her daughter, same thing, just allowing the kids to connect what they eat with how they feel. So, so great. Yeah. That's a really awesome point. Maybe the better question is how can our kids teach us how to biohack? <laughs> Good call. Yeah. They're just they much more in tune intuitive. With their, yeah, they're very intuitive. And so like yeah. letting them explore. And I think just to add on to what you said about connecting to symptoms and feelings is just teaching them to be curious. I was thinking a lot about that this morning. My mom and I went to dinner last night and we sat at the bar to eat. And this guy at the end of the bar, I don't know who he was, but he was talking to the friends that he was sitting with giving nutrition advice. And he was speaking very loudly. It was really hard to not eavesdrop. He was like, broccoli. Broccoli is the best vegetable and everyone should eat it. And you know, it's much better than cauliflower, but you should eat a lot of kale and you should eat a lot of spinach and walnuts are the best nut and everyone needs to eat, you know, tomatoes. I was like, there is no, everyone should do anything. Who is this guy? I don't know. I thought it was hilarious. I'm not really sure what prompted it, what the conversation was, but I just thought the lesson there is like, we need to always be curious and there's no one size fits all for anything. So let's be curious and and encourage our kids to be curious and just keep the conversation open. And that's kind of pervasive with, you know, all the things we're dealing with in the world right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. More curiosity. That story reminds me of, I don't think I ever told you the story I had dinner, I hosted a dinner, eight biohackers, which is very intimidating. Like, what do you serve to eight biohackers? That sounds like a joke. Like eight biohackers walk into a bar. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I went with grass-fed steak and a kale salad, which I'm going to get to in a second. <laughs> and then mashed potatoes, regular potatoes, not sweet potatoes, just regular potatoes. And one of the biohackers 
I noticed he was not eating the kale salad. And he's like, and I said, what, what's going on? He's like, I can't believe you would serve kale salad. <laughs> I was like, I, okay. Who have you been listening to? Dave Asprey? Like, you know, Paul Saladino, kale's going to yeah. kill you. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely more carnivore style. And I, I'm not offended at all by that. And I was like, I hear you and you don't have to eat it. Yep. I was like, I put lemon juice on that and I massaged that kale for 15 minutes and broke it down as much as With I could. With bare hands. Yeah. But <laughs> that's hilarious. I mean, yeah. I guess you could have put money on someone having an issue with something, which is fine. We all have like our own ways of eating. It should be very yeah. personalized, but like where in the biohacking space are we talking about manners? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you go to someone's house for dinner, like just thank them. <laughs> no, it was totally fine because actually he brought like 20 bars of Honey Mama's chocolate. Ooh, redeemed. Yeah, yeah. That is the best. Yeah. No, I think it's important that people listen to their body and everyone, everyone is different. And that, and that's the funny thing about serving dinner to biohackers. It's like, I can't make eight different meals. Yeah. (laughs) I work in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the only fail. Unless you take them out to a field, everyone just forage for your own meal. Meet you back (laughs) here in 30. Bye. Bye. Here's some mushrooms. Call it a day. Yeah. All right. That was a fun topic. So next up we have uh, another client question. She said, I recently added in whey protein, but it seems to be flaring up my digestive issues. Is collagen protein powder a better option? I've heard it's not a complete protein. Great question. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh gosh. So to start off, I would say whey protein, most whey proteins on the market are trash. So I think everyone should stay away from them. If you can get a clean whey protein, you know, something like the Keon whey protein or designs for health whey protein, that's at least a cleaner, better option, but not everyone is going to digest it well. If you have any kind of, you know, lactose intolerance or casein sensitivity, or you're dealing with SIBO or candida overgrowth, you know, there's so many reasons why you wouldn't tolerate a whey protein. So if you want to look for a better option, I think collagen protein powder is a great one. Paleo Valley has a good like grass-fed bone broth protein, um, all really good options, but you're right. It's not a complete protein. And that just means it doesn't contain all the essential amino acids, which we find in animal protein, right? Chicken, beef, et cetera. We get all of our amino acids. It's a complete protein. So collagen protein's not, but I still think that's okay because there's so many other benefits. I mean, collagen is good for our our joints, our bones, our gut, um, our brain, our skin, like so many other benefits, as long as you're getting complete protein elsewhere. So you can do that through things like food combining or just making sure you're getting it, all your essential amino acids throughout the day, just eating other, other protein sources. And then even essential amino acids, like the Kian Aminos, I love this product. It's so good. I just take a scoop and put it right in my mouth. I don't even bother mixing it with water. Oh, you're <laughs> nuts. I know. I know. I'm crazy, but, but it's nice. Cause then you do get all your essential amino acids and it's like one scoop is five grams of protein. And that's like super bioavailable protein right into your body. You can't really beat that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that product too. I think when you first read this question, I was like, I don't even know how to respond to this. Cause I just, I can't pretend to be an expert about protein powders. There's just so much out there. I do tend to tolerate whey protein, but I try to, you know, create diversity, like change up my sources, but the key on essential amino acids, I think will always be a staple because the benefits really are endless. I mean, we're getting 
uh, sleep support. We're getting better glucose metabolism. We're getting all of our essential amino acids. So we get better muscle protein synthesis and recovery. It's great for energy. I mean, it's like, what does this stuff not do? So if you really are struggling to find an optimal protein source, like literally go to the, the source, the amino acids that actually create the proteins in your body. Yeah. And I would assume most vegans and vegetarians would be okay with that product. You know, if they're um, looking for it's another, a, it's from plant sources, I believe. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So that's a good hack for that too. Mm-hmm. Great. Definitely. Awesome. What's up, biohackers? We are running an awesome giveaway this week for a chance to win our favorite detox and recovery drink, Coast. Yay! It's a next-level wellness drink that we've been sipping on this past year. It's available in a quick and easy shot or in a powdered stick that easily mixes in water. The powder is my personal favorite. We are on the go a lot, and our bodies need extra support against all of our daily stressors, right? Like work, exercise, maybe a little bit of partying, you name it. No. (laughs) And this is where Coast comes in. It helps to flush out toxins, replenish lost nutrients, and repair our cells. Totally. And what I love about Coast is that it combines so many cutting-edge ingredients into one drink, like it has an NAD plus precursor, antioxidants, vitamins, and amino acids. It's so awesome. We personally love drinking it a few times a week, either post-workout or to prepare or recover from a night of drinking. And I personally love the shot version. So there we go. We have two options for you. In a nutshell, it helps flush out the bad stuff and definitely puts more of the good stuff back in. Plus, there's no sugar, no artificial flavors, no colors or sweeteners, which is awesome. Ah, yeah, so important. So if you want to learn more, go ahead and check out coastdrink.com. And at checkout, make sure you use code biohackerbabes. That'll save you 15%. And if you're interested in entering the giveaway, head on over to Instagram. Our page there is biohacker underscore babes. And check it out sometime before Monday, January 31st. We will have a post there featuring Coast. Make sure you like, comment, and follow Coast Health as well. And the winner will receive a box of both. Lauren's favorite, the pre-mixed drink, and my favorite, the powder. <laughs> Woohoo! So stay tuned for the winner reveal on Tuesday, February 1st. Good luck. All right, next up. This might be from your client, Renee. I just started doing a bi-weekly 24-hour fast. What are your thoughts on using exogenous ketones while fasting? What a great question. Do you want to mm-hmm. kick this one off? Yeah, well, I would say, um, yeah, yeah, this was my client because I, I think I, I put him on a biweekly twenty four hour fast, which, by the way, is, I find works really well for men. I don't typically recommend this for women, but men biweekly twenty four hour fasts are great. Yeah, I, I am a fan of exogenous ketones in this case. Also, electrolytes can be really helpful, so it just makes the fasting easier. You're still going to get a lot of the benefits. I recommend the twenty four hour fast as a way to reset glucose levels, at least with. Um, the levels CGM data. Sometimes if I see like really increased variability, a 24 hour fast is a great way to kind of reset. And I do have uh, my female clients do it depending on where they are in their cycle. But I don't know, oh. are you using this as a way to like kickstart weight loss, like fat burning? Yeah, I think it was, it was more fat burning for him, but he's also trying to put on muscle. So mm. I'm not having him do more than just the two days a month of this fast. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be really conservative with it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the electrolytes to support the fasting because your body will get dehydrated. I haven't really done enough research on exogenous ketones. There's obviously a lot out 
there on the market, but I, I have yet to find one that is completely clean and free of like any additives. Seems like there's always something in there that I would Mm. rather not be in there. And I guess, do we really know what you're accomplishing by adding the exogenous ketones? And I think even just with testing ketones, we don't have a great understanding of that because unless you're doing blood ketone testing, are you getting a a true snapshot of what is happening in that moment? And obviously we know like people that are metabolically healthy don't necessarily have high ketone levels, even though they're metabolically flexible. And then on the other side, we can see people that they take a while to get into ketosis, but then can have like super high ketone levels. Like, do we really know like the number of ketones that, that equates to X amount of fat burning? I think I like it just as kind of like a digestive reset, a glucose metabolism reset. Yeah. I think lots of great points and questions. I would say, first of all, I think there are a couple good products on the market, but they taste terrible. Yeah. I think that's why a lot of those products are putting stuff in there. They add flavor. Yeah. yeah. They're not, na- they're nasty, but if you can get past the taste, I would go right to the, like the pure stuff, but also you're right. Like what, I mean, there's so many other things we can do to get the body to naturally produce ketones, right? Drinking black coffee, MCT oil, especially like brain octane, fasting itself. You know, there's natural ways, but I think maybe, maybe if you don't get into ketosis quickly and you want to get the benefits of fasting, but you also want to have like that brain fuel that you get with the ketones, maybe Mm -hmm. that's a good time to match it up. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Cause 24 hour fast, not everyone's going to get into ketosis. Yeah. And you might have brain fog. So if you add in exogenous ketones, fuel your brain, you might feel a lot better and still get all the benefits of the autophagy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Gosh, that's like a whole nother rabbit hole. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I feel yeah. like I'm not the right person to answer that question. It's just random thoughts. So yeah. All right. Definitely electrolytes is what this comes back to. Make sure your body is hydrated while you're fasting. All right. Another great question. I want to track sleep, HRV, mileage, et cetera. What's the best option for this? Oh gosh. I mean, there's so many good options. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, we always go back to the aura ring. I just, I think you, you get such great data and I'm still a fan of it being a ring on your finger, easy to wear. It's not bulky on your wrist, all of that other stuff. Whoop. Mm, I haven't personally tried it. And Lauren, I know you, we've talked about this on previous episodes. I don't think we would rank that at the top. Biostrap depends on what you're trying to do. I think you're, if you're really trying to upgrade performance, like workout performance, I think it's excellent. I'm just personally more interested in the recovery trackers. Gotcha. Okay. So more for athletic performance, you'd say whoop. Okay. Biostrap. I kind of put that on the same level as aura, as far as a lot of the data is pretty similar but again, this is going to be worn on your wrist. So, you know, dealing with a little bit of that bulkiness, but she also asked about the Fitbit. So I had to go and look this up because Fitbit has changed so much. Um, every other day I hear like, oh, my Fitbit does this and that. And so I went and I looked up the features and it's actually quite impressive. Um, I haven't really been able to dive into the research and the science behind it, but just at first glance, like they're doing HRV, oxygen saturation, breathing rate, temperature tracking, sleep scores, menstrual cycle tracking, activity tracking, um, 24 seven heart rate, a stress management score or daily readiness score. I don't know. I think I guess I need a Fitbit. (laughs) Yeah. They're up there. 
My only concern was I could not find an answer about this is you can turn off notifications. There's a do not disturb mode you could do while you're sleeping and it'll mute anything from coming in. But I don't see anything about airplane mode being an option. So I'm assuming you're Mm. getting a good dose of EMFs. All right. Forget about it. 24 seven. Yeah. So until I can find a better answer, because that's what I love about Bioshock and Aura Ring. I keep it in airplane mode all the time. I sync it twice a day just to get like 12 hours of data, see what's going on. And then I put it back in airplane mode. I mm-hmm. would not wear something on your wrist while you're sleeping. That's getting EMFs. Yeah. But good to know that they have, um, really started to include these more comprehensive biomarkers. I mean, that means that there's really a push in the market. And I think they're all, all of these devices are going to continue to make each other better. So oh, yeah. I think that's great, but yeah, competition. I'm with you. I'd rather have something that I can keep in airplane mode, but it's also a personal preference. If you're used to it and you respond well and you understand the data, it's like what's actually creating better behavioral change. It's going to be different for everyone. Right. Good point. All right. I got a question for you, Lauren. What are the benefits of microdosing and why would someone want to do this? Question of the year. <laughs> microdosing. Why would anyone want to do that? Craziness. There are a million answers to this question. I think the possibilities are pretty endless as to what what and why people would want to do. Wait, what am I saying? Why they would want to do it and what they would want to do it with. For the sake of keeping this a little shorter and snappier, I'm going to say my greatest interest in microdosing is the overall effect on behavioral change, at least as a health coach and working with biohackers that are very in touch with all of their metrics and their biomarkers and tracking everything. You know, the average client is very educated these days. And I think what I hear very commonly is I know what to do. I just don't always know how to do it, or I can't always do it. So it's like that action. It's like taking the next step to actually make it habitual and to make it consistent and to make it long-term is difficult. And that's because our brains kind of are working against us in, in many ways. Like one potential hurdle is the default mode network. That's like our, our daydreaming state. I think the analogy that I always come back to, and I should probably get a new one, but it's like when the girl asks her boyfriend, like, what are you thinking about? And he's like, nothing. <laughs> that's the daydreaming state when you're not super active in your conscious thoughts or actions or doing anything. It's just, it's your default. Does that make sense? Yeah. Default. Default mode network. And the DMN, which is the acronym, gets strengthened by being in a fear state, anxiety, chronic stress, being on devices, i.e., just like living in the modern world, especially living in the last two years. This default mode network gets stronger and stronger. And so if that becomes stronger, then we our conscious state becomes more rigid and less flexible. And so if we're looking for growth for progress, for true behavioral change, we have to get out of that rigid, the rigidity. And so something psychedelics can do is they can kind of dampen, kind of unwind, create a little more space, diminish that default mode strength so that you can actually make changes. There's also a component of increased neuroplasticity. So we've talked about BDNF on the podcast a lot, and you can increase that with fasting exercise, but Psychedelics actually increase the release of BDNF. So we're getting that increased crosstalk in parts of the brain that don't normally talk. 
And so anytime we have like more connectivity, more communication, obviously we're going to have more options. So I think it's what it's really doing is allowing us to get unstuck. And a lot of us are unstuck, especially after going through the pandemic and being around family and community less and being indoors and living in fear. Like default mode network is so strong right now. Yeah. So from like a, I think a social health, a mental, emotional health perspective, it's awesome. But even just, you know, pre-pandemic for health coaching, trying to make changes in your nutrition, lifestyle, fitness, psychedelics with microdosing, which microdosing would be a sub-perceptual level. So it's something that you could take and you could still function. You could, you know, no one would know that you're on it because it doesn't create like a measure, a measurable change in your, the way that you interact or, or act right. in your day. And generally what people feel is like, oh, I was a little more productive. Oh, I had a, you know, just a slightly better day, or I felt a little more creative, or I felt a little less reactionary. It's super small changes that I think are really, I'm going to wrap this up soon, but I think this really small changes is what creates lasting change, right? Renee, like in our health coaching, we're always talking about long-term sustainable changes. Not how can I lose 30 pounds in 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 30 30 days, days, right? Right. We're more interested in in the longer term, like truly impactful changes. And I think microdosing is a fantastic gateway to that. Yeah. Okay. A couple of thoughts. I will say as far as mindset and behavior change, our podcast coming out next week, a week after this one with Joel Evan, all about mindset. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Please tune in. I was just listening to it the other night. It's a fabulous episode. He's amazing. So just the importance of mindset and behavioral change versus just what you eat and how you exercise kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But also back to the neuroplasticity. So I have been doing ketamine therapy. Lauren, you know that. Um, I've done five sessions. I have one more session. I'm doing it through MindBloom. So, you know, I have a therapist. It's all at home. It's regulated. It's, I have a prescription for ketamine. It's pretty, pretty cool what you can do. And literally last night, my husband says, I'm noticing you're, you're changing like in a good way, cool. like le- a little bit less stress, a little bit less anxious, which, which has been my goal. And so I was like, wow, okay. Really? Cause you know, other people notice things, I think sometimes faster than you do. Cause you're in your head just yeah. like every day, all day, but someone yeah. from the outside that's like, Hmm. Yeah, I definitely think you need that outside perspective. And that was a big thing in, in the Islet Waldman book, a really good day. The, oh, the I still mother, want to read that. She microdosed with LSD and, and she was journaling every single day. And, and she was like, I don't know, am I changing? But everyone in her life, her husband, her kids, her friends, they were all able to comment like, wow, you're really different. She's like, okay. Well, that's where journaling can be really helpful too. Yeah. I still need to read that book. We're going to link to that in the show notes. Cause I think some people would really enjoy that book as well. Yeah. Wow. Mom just finished it. She loved it. She like breezed through it. Cool. Cool mom. Yeah. <laughs> She's a cool mom. She is a cool mom. I can't wait to hang out with you. Got a guys. cool mom and a cool dad. Yes, we do. They're the best. All right, we got one more and then we got to wrap this up. All right, final question. And this is just a common question that I get with my level CGM clients. <laughs> How do I say this? Uh, they commonly will come in and say, I'm eating so healthy, or I thought I was eating so healthy, and my glucose is still spiking after meals. Okay, this is a really complex, highly personalized situation. So I thought, Rudy, <laughs> he has a lot to say about this. Maybe his glucose is spiking. Buddy. Hi, buddy. 
<laughs> so I guess I just wanted to cover some best practices because I think there's just some general hygiene that is often overlooked before we get into the nitty gritty, before we look at personalized responses. So some questions I always ask, because I find that I ask these and sometimes people's heads blow off, even though it seems simple, but like, are you drinking water during a meal? We've all been conditioned to hydrate and to drink something while we eat. If you want to spike your glucose, drink a glass of water while you're eating your dinner. Mm. Um, So I would say, ask yourself that question and then make sure you're really limiting your liquid intake while you're eating. You want to save it for about 15 minutes prior to eating. And then I would wait 45 minutes, even an hour after is really optimal. So you're not getting that glucose spike, but also we know you get enhanced digestion because if you're drinking water, you're going to essentially flush the digestive enzymes through your body. You're not going to get as much, as much digestive powder, powder, power. Hmm. No D. Digestive powder can be helpful too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) A second question is what order are you eating your foods in? Sometimes just by rearranging, making sure you eat your protein and your fat first, and then your carbs. And I know that kind of takes the fun out of eating, but something I just recommended to a client yesterday, you know how annoying it is when you're cooking and someone comes into the kitchen to like eat something, you're like, wait till it's on the table. I encourage my client I was like, I know it's a little rude, but while you're, if your wife is cooking, go in and like try a little bit of protein, right? You got to help her out, make sure it tastes okay. But that would be a way to sneak in your protein before you sit down to eat. Cause you know, once you sit down and it's on the table, you're not going to eat your protein and then sit and wait for like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I do. I'm kind of a weird eater in that. Like I do kind of eat one thing at a time. I don't like mixing. I sound like a child saying this, but like I will eat my steak yeah, everyone's and then different. I will eat my whatever, my, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes a difference. Protein I, first. Who knew? All right. Protein and fat. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, third question is, what is the protein to fat to carb ratio? Uh, something that surprises people is if you eat a sandwich with fries, well, look at the ratio of carbs to protein. So you probably have some protein on that sandwich, but the bread is pretty high in carbs. And then the fries are definitely high in carbs. So protein is outweighed. And for most people, you need to make sure that the protein is like a very active player or character. Make sure there's enough protein in relation to carbs. I know this sounds simple, but sometimes I, I find over and over again that people haven't really considered it, at least when they're in the presence of their plate. Lastly, I'm just going to bring this back to the personalization factor. It's sometimes it's not the food. Sometimes it's, are you dehydrated? Did you not sleep well? Are you stressed? We tend to demonize foods. People will be like, Oh, I thought that, um, I thought that I could have potatoes, but they spiked me. I'm like, well, did it spike you on this day when you had slept well? It's like, no, so we got to tease, we got to tease out the data and all of the variables because the list is very long. So sometimes stepping back and looking at that big picture can reveal some clues. So I know that was a little simple and quick, but just a few housekeeping things. Great tips. I, gosh, I always learn when I listen to you about glucose and psychedelics. <laughs> so much, so much to learn. <laughs> well, and likewise. Great. All right. Well, that was our final question. So we'll wrap up this Q&A. Thank you to everyone that sent in the questions and clients. We love you guys. Couldn't do this without you all. We're so grateful for everything 
and keep sending in the questions. We'll do this maybe in like another month or two. This is pretty fun to do. Yes, please. Love you all. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Love this episode of the Biohacker Babes podcast? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. We truly appreciate your support. Until then, happy biohacking. This podcast offers health, fitness, and nutritional information and is designed for educational purposes only. You should not rely on this information as a substitute for, nor does it replace professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you have any concerns or questions about your health, you should always consult with a physician or other healthcare professional.